If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 595. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter. Like my Facebook page and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. Why are there? Give me that email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. You can support the show by going to mclanahanacademy.com. Always free to enroll. Get that free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, get great deals on new courses. If you're on that email list or on my regular email list now, you know about my new class, 25 People Who Changed America. It's a great class. I'm giving a coupon. It's a pre-order. The class will be out in, in uh, April, but once it comes out, the coupon goes away. So you want to order it early, get it early, and get the best deal. Also, support the show by clicking on that support tab at brianmcclanahan.com. You can throw a few pennies my way. Get one of my books. You can buy them wherever books are sold. The latest two, Southern Scribblings and the Jeffersonian Tradition, both awesome books. You're going to want those. Click on the shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com. Get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Let people know you're thinking locally and acting locally. Share the podcast around on social media. Do all you can to get people interested in the show. Send me those show requests. I'd like to see it. It may not respond back to you, but I do like to see those requests. All right. Let's talk about the topic of the day. We had a couple of interesting pieces this week, I think. Uh, one on Richard Weaver and the South and Southern Symbols. The other, Paul Gottfried, in a very similar fashion. You know, are Southern Symbols anti-Semitic? Of course they're not. Are Southern Symbols uh, fascist? Of course they're not. I mean, this, this is just stupid. But I want to uh, talk about kind of a, a similar theme you know, with the 1619 Project. You see, the real problem in all of this is not really the 1619 Project. It's the response to the 1619 Project. And the response to the 1619 Project has been as bad as the 1619 Project itself. And I point to an essay that Alan Gelzo, our good neoconservative buddy Alan Gelzo, published. Now, Alan Gelzo, Gelzo is right in some things that he says here. Uh, but the problem is, this is this essay came out December 8, 2018. The problem is that some of this is just completely false. And so the title of this, it was, it was published at cityjournal.org, is Preaching a Conspiracy Theory. So he calls the 1619 Project a conspiracy theory. Now, is it a conspiracy theory? Um well, I think it's a, it is not a conspiracy theory. I think that it's based on W.E.B. E. Du Bois's uh, vision of what America actually was. If you say it's a conspiracy theory, then you'd have to say that Du Bois was conspiratorial. I think du, du Bois was a sloppy historian. And I think Helen Andrews, we already talked about on this podcast, did a great job tearing down that book, Black Reconstruction. But Gelzo is way off point here. 
most important thing about this is Gelzo essentially is going to side with the same people that the 1619 Project would use, with the exception of W.B. Du Bois. I mean, uh, the 1776 Commission report published at the in the waning days of the Trump administration was using the same heroes the left would use. It's just they're using it in the way they want to use them. The whole the whole process is Straussianism destroying America. And when you look at this piece, essentially Gelzo is doubling down on the proposition nation myth. So Gelzo says, there is one sense in which the 1619 Project's attempts to rewrite U.S. history in the image of slavery is right. America's founding was like nothing else seen in the history of human societies. But not because of slavery. Instead, it was because the American Republic modeled itself on the scientific revolution of the 17th century by tying it, trying to find a natural order in human politics rather than fall back upon the artificial and irrational hierarchies that governed how the ancients had understood both the physical and political universes. Now, I would disagree. <laughs> right. So he's right that slavery wasn't driving America in 1619 at all, right? He's right that the American founding had nothing to do with slavery. Okay. Yes, these people were slave owners, and yes, the states were slaveholding states. This is correct. Of course, uh, uh, the uh, Nicole Hannah Jones, who's the progenitor of the project, made the assertion that the American War for Independence was about slavery. Now, I've talked about this for years because I knew this would come up at some point. And it has in other places, but it would come up in, in a popular way at some point. But the fact that in New York and in Virginia, you had the governor of both states essentially issuing an emancipation proclamation was going to force uh, people to say, well, the war was about slavery because all these people were against it because of the emancipation. They were, they were for the war and against the emancipation proclamations issued by Dunmore. And, but that's why they're against the British, because they don't want to lose their slaves. Of course, it's all hogwash. It was certainly an issue. People were worried about it. Jefferson tried to insert a clause in the, in the Declaration condemning the slave trade and condemning slavery itself, and that was rebuffed by South Carolina and Georgia. But the fact is, uh, the war was not about slavery in any way. Uh, no, uh, the, the, of course, the dirty little secret is neither was the war in 1861 to 65. It wasn't really about slavery. You had a slaveholding republic fighting another slaveholding federal republic, both federal republics fighting each other, slaveholding federal republics. And Lincoln had said it's not about slavery at all. The war is not about slavery. It's about keeping the union together. Now, the fact that the Confederacy was a slaveholding federal republic and that they talked a lot about slavery doesn't mean that their effort in independence was about slavery. It was about independence. So this is incorrect. And the fact that he says, well, it's all about the scientific revolution. Well, no. I mean, Gelzo essentially is, is saying that the American war for independence, as Lewis Hart said, wasn't in any way conservative. It's not John Dickinson. It's Tom Paine. Well, this is false. It's not George Washington. It's Tom Paine. Or uh, Ethan Allen. It's false. You had certainly had leftists in the American War for Independence driving parts of it, but uh, you know Jefferson was a radical, but Jefferson was was toned down quite a bit by everyone else around him. 
Franklin? Was Franklin really that radical? Franklin was just a chameleon. Franklin was a man of the world. So was it driven by the scientific revolution that, you know, this idea that there is not a, a artificial or rational hierarchies? Well, certainly they believed in the, in the natural aristocracy, something that Hamilton talked about. They believed in that. They didn't want an artificial monarchy, but they got one in the presidency. It's just elected. So it was simply saying, well, we don't have uh, the artificial monarchies, which is what Gelzo is getting at, but we still can have these things, and we still have traditional order in society, and there still are hierarchies. It's just not based on uh, what you know who you're born to as far as political, right? But that there's other places in the world that have had this before. The United States wasn't the first. I think this is the problem with with uh, this worship of the Declaration, which he gets into. Gelzer then says, Our Declaration of Independence stated as our self-evident truth of nature that all men are created equal. Thank you, Abraham Gelzo. Right? I mean, because this is this he's just channeling Abraham Lincoln here, who recreated America with that particular speech, the Gettysburg Address. Our Constitution prohibited all titles of nobility and required virtually all offices to be matters of public election rather than inheritance or class. The American Republic would be a theater of those who, like Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass, could be self-made men, and the solutions of their problems of the day would be generated by hosts of voluntary associations, working from the bottom up rather than through government from the top down. Now look at who he picked there. His two heroes, right in the first paragraph, Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass. Two people that, essentially, the 1619 Project are saying their heroes are too. And the 1776 Commission Report. Where are these people different? They're not. It's just that Gelzo's ticked that uh, they're making him feel uncomfortable because... Uh, you're saying that uh, people that I like in history are bad guys. You see, what's happened here is the 1619 Project has made people uncomfortable. It's made Straussians uncomfortable. It's made neoconservatives uncomfortable. Those are the people that are uncomfortable with it. There's actually parts of the 1619 Project I agree with entirely. But the answer should be so. I mean, parts of it should just be so. Yeah. What's your point? Right? What does that have to do with today? That's Du Bois, though. This is where Du Bois impacts America in ways that people don't see. Because if it was this, then the impact, then then all the problems can be blamed on these things, and you have to atone for it for the rest of the history of the United States. Actually, as somebody tell me one time, and I think I've said it on this podcast, in three or four hundred years from now, after uh, after we've had all these policies and everything else, when there's a a real atonement, then we can start talking about toning this stuff back. But it's going to take three or four hundred years. Well, why are people being punished for things they didn't do three or four hundred years ago, or even fifty years ago, or a hundred years ago? It doesn't make any sense. It's immoral. Yet nature is not always kind or predictable, and neither is the path of the republic. The temptation has always existed to slide back into the comfortable abyss of hierarchy, whether it be the racial hierarchy of slaveholders in the Civil War, or the new hierarchies of bureaucracy and socialism. Now, again, look at what he did there. Well, slaveholders in the Civil War. There was no hierarchy in the North before that, right? Because the newer hierarchy of bureaucracy and socialism. Before that, there was no hierarchies in the North. I don't know if he really understands Northern society. I don't know if he really understands the plutocratic hierarchy in Northern society. Particularly in places like Boston and New York. I mean, it was already there, right? Uh, now, when you look at small farmers, they were all over the place. The Midwest, the South. 
It wasn't like you had all these, you know, rags to riches, or not even that, rags, people in rags showing up from the North, all these egalitarian Democrats showing up to vote for Republicans, and the only people the other side were these, you know, haughty aristocratic Southerners. It's just stupid. Lincoln himself was not a man of the people. Lincoln himself wanted to be in the highest levels of, of, uh, of American society, and he sold slaves. He aspired to be part of that hierarchy. He wanted it. And here he is, President of the United States. He got it. In fact, this is a slap at Mrs. Lincoln for calling her first lady because they thought she spent too much money. It is the temptation to backsliding which the 1619 Project wants to insist is the real story. But this is take, like taking the stage crew out from behind the curtain and insisting that they're the real musical. So, I mean, he's this is what the elites would get, right? The, the opera, the theater. It's like taking the stage crew out of the back and saying, these are the real musicals, not just the cast, it's the opera and the theater that we have here. And so this is, you know, Gelzo and his uh, very uh, baritone voice. And uh, he, would, he would say, it's, this is the temptation. This is the temptation. And Lincoln, ah, Lincoln. You must genuflect Abraham Lincoln. His name has been ushered. Let's bow our heads for a second. Say a prayer for the great emancipator, for the honest Abe. And there we are. Uh, but the thing is, he, oh, his other thing he's doing is saying that the Civil War, the slaveholders were just the same as the bureaucracy and socialism of today. This is the other thing the neocons and the Straussians are trying to do, is put those things together. Well, if they can't be fascists, then they have to be socialists. And if they can't be socialists, they just have to be modern progressive bureaucrats. And if they can't be that, I don't know what they are. Just anti-American. So let us speak of slavery. First, let's bow our heads because we use the term. And you're going to have this any, obligatory anytime you do this uh, on a on a documentary. You have to bow your head and look very serious because we're going to speak of slavery now. We have to get very serious about this. Uh, the American Republic inherited slavery from the British Empire in much the same way that it inherited its fiscal poverty, its lack of manufacturing capability, and its primitive in infrastructure. We expected to overcome all of these in time, and we would have dealt the same way with slavery, too. At the Constitutional Convention in 1787, Governor Morris attacked slavery wholesale as a nefarious institution, which had the curse of heaven where it prevailed. But the expectation of the founders was that slavery was a dying institution, so the convention turned a blind eye to slavery, even as it insisted that turning the blind eye was not meant, as James Madison said, to admit in the Constitution the idea that there could be property in men. Now, um, Morris was pretty much alone in these statements at the Philadelphia Convention. Of course, there were people there that would hold the same opinions, but Morris was one of the more outspoken. Uh, and they certainly did think slavery was a dying institution to a, to a point. Uh, but what was more important was the fact that we were creating a federal republic and this issue could be dealt with in the states. I mean, if, if Massachusetts wanted to abolish it, fine. So Connecticut, New York, whatever. But the states where it still worked, it should be allowed to happen. And of course, George Mason said, look, the problem is we've... He actually thought they were limiting the influence of slavery in the future while leaving the slave trade open, which he considered to be was the worst part of the entire institution. They were, of course, wrong. The explosion of Britain's Industrial Revolution built on the production of cotton textiles and the invention of the cotton din turned slave-based cotton agriculture into a roaring inferno of profitability. Profitability that erased shame and then stimulated angry self-justifications. And instead of 
painlessly working out slavery, I'm sorry, winking out slavery had to be exterminated by the force of the Civil War before it could strangle the life of the Republic itself. I mean, look, that's just hysteria. First of all, uh, an roaring inferno of profitability. Yes, slave owners can make some money. This is true. And I think Fogel and Engerman have shown that it was, you can make a lot of money on slavery. Um, but this would actually be in line more with like what the 1619 Project is saying about capitalism and slavery. So Gelzo simply giving them, admitting, well, they're right. He thinks they're right about slavery and capitalism. No, 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 they're not. They're not right. These The two didn't go together, but he's saying the Industrial Revolution created the necessity for cotton, which would be then capitalism creating this slave economy in the South. That's his argument. But these and these people were profitable, so they're kind of like ultra-capitalist. And then it took force, of course, to abolish this thing. Nobody ever asked them to have to take force. It was abolished everywhere else without force, but not here in the United States. Even then, we botched the eradication of slavery's racial legacy through a badly redesigned I'm sorry, badly designed reconstruction. We have paid the price for that ever since. How is this different from the 1619 Project? This is what they're saying. Now he says it's not what they're saying, but it is what they're saying. I mean, Gelzo would side with Foner here. Yeah, I mean, it's the unfinished revolution. We did a bad job. We should have done better. Paid the price for it. It's the war. Slavery caused all the problems. But he says, then he says, this is not, however, the story told by the so-called 1619 Project, designed largely by journalist Nicole Hannah-Jones and members of the New York Times editorial staff. The 1619 Project aspires, through essays, poems, and short fiction, to rewrite entirely the narrative of American slavery, not as an unwilling inheritance of British colonialism, but as the love object of American capitalism from its very origins. Well, didn't you just say that profitability. Now, you, I know markets and capitalism aren't the same thing, but didn't you just say this is, in, in one paragraph, you contradict yourself. It reviews slavery not as a blemish that the founders grudgingly tolerated with the understanding that it must soon evaporate, but as the prize that the Constitution went out of its way to secure and protect. The Times presents slavery not as a readable chapter in the distant past, but as the living, breathing pattern upon which all American social life is based World without end. So again, that's Du Bois. This is their thing, putting that there. But, of course, the thing that I'm perplexed about is Gelzo contradicts himself in two paragraphs. He's saying this is, this is the, uh, this the story is different from what I just relayed, but it's not the same thing? Isn't it the same thing? The 1619 Project is not history. It's a polemic, born in the imaginations of those whose primary target is capitalism itself and who hope to tarnish capitalism by associating it with slavery. Slavery made cotton profitable, but profitability is not capitalism. See, this is where he's going to get into this. I agree with him to an extent here. Profit-seeking has been around since Abraham brought the cave cave uh, in the book of Genesis. If profitability were capitalism, then the Soviet Union's highly profitable Sales of natural gas and other commodities would surely make it one of the great success stories of capitalism, which, of course, it was not. Ask any worthwhile Marxist, capitalism is about the creation of class, and especially the bourgeoisie, the middle class. And one thing the South never developed was a bourgeoisie. This is simply not true. It's simply not true. There was a middle class in the South. In fact, as much as I don't like the book, Lacey Ford did a really interesting book on the Southern yeomen, the, the middle class in the South, and he found they were driving a lot of things in the South. There's a great essay at Abbeville Institute 
on how wealthy the South, actually by uh, William Cawthon, how wealthy the South actually was before the war. There was a pretty vibrant middle class. There's been other books on the middle class. There's a new book, well, several years, past several years, about the middle class in the South. It says it was bigger than people realized. There was a pretty substantial merchant class in the South. And they had a lot of influence. So Gelzo is basically regurgitating a, a tired and uh, simply uh, uh, you know, untrue characterization of the South. He says, which is why no single American, North or South, before 1861 ever imagined that slavery and capitalism were anything but mortal enemies. The pro-slavery apologist George Fitzhugh frankly declared that slavery was a forum, not of capitalism, but of feudal socialism. The anti-slavery president, Abraham Lincoln, explained the war on slavery was a war on behalf of free labor. Well, okay. Um, yes, Southerners were against capitalism. They were. I mean, he's right about this. Southerners said their society wasn't capitalist, but paternalist. Now, of course, Gelsa would say that's just socialist. He says it. It's just socialism. And Lincoln, I mean, it's free labor. This, I mean, the war is about free labor. Free white labor in the West, by the way. The 1619 Project commits, moreover, the supply chain fallacy that slavery was necessary for capitalism and, as a result, inhibits inhibits every level of capitalism's subsequent development. This is the same reasoning that suggests that if a scientist receives a grant from the National Science Foundation for Research, the result of the research is a production of the government. As economic historian uh, Deidre McCloskey comments, it's a legal way of thinking, not economic and not much in the way of historical thinking either. Again, the 1619 Project is not history. It's a conspiracy theory. And like all conspiracy theories, the 1619 Project announces with a eureka that has acquired the explanation to everything and thus gives an aggrieved audience a sense that it finally is in control through its understanding of the real causes of his unhappiness. But historians and most journalists know that human experience is is contingent and contradictory. Multivalent, contingent, and contradictory, excuse me. And it bodes ill for the 1619 Project that, the whole, that while conspiracy theories arouse tidal waves of attention in their first unveiling, they also, like the grassy knoll the blood, or the blood libel, were out quickly because their ability to explain everything usually ends up explaining nothing. But again, the 1619 Project is based on Du Bois's Black Reconstruction and the souls of black folk. It's based on all of that. Desmond has come out and said, well, Du Bois was who I was, I mean, who I was focusing on when I was doing my work. Du Bois. So it's not a conspiracy theory that these people came up with. It's a conspiracy theory going back all the way to the early days of Reconstruction with Du Bois in the 1860s and 70s. And again, the 1619 Project is not history. It is ignorance. It claims that the American Revolution was staged to protect slavery, though it never once occurs to the project to ask, in that case, why the British West Indies, which had a far larger and infinitely more malignant slave system than the 13 American colonies, never joined us in that revolution. It claims that the Constitution's three-fifths clause is designed by the founders as the keystone that would keep the slave states in power, though the 1619 Project seems not to have noticed that at the time of the Constitutional Convention, all the states were slave states, save only Massachusetts so that the three-fifths clause could only have been intended to confer such a mysterious power on slavery unless the founders had come to the convention and quit crystal balls. It behaves as though the Civil War never happened, that the slaves somehow freed themselves, and that a white president never put weapons in the hands of black men 
and bid them kill rebels who had taken up arms in defense of bondage. The 1619 Project forgets, in other words, that there was an 1863 Project and that its name was Emancipation. So again, Gelzo waving the, you know, pro-Lincoln flag here. We forget about Lincoln. We forget about the Republicans, how great these people were. We forget about that. Finally, the 1619 Project is not history, it's evangelism, but evangelism for a gospel of disenchantment whose ultimate purpose is the hollowing out of the means, meaning of freedom, so that every defense of freedom drops nervously from the hands of people who have been made too ashamed to defend it. No nation can live without a history, and no new nation can flourish without a history that affirms, and Ralph Waldo Emerson's words in 1856, that the evil eye can wither, that the heart's blessing can heal, that love can exalt talent and overcome all odds. What the 1619 Project offers instead is bitterness, fragility, and intellectual corruption, not history. But I, I, Gelzo conveniently leaves out here, which we talked about in the first thing this week, that Emerson was also a racist who thought blacks would become extinct. So you're going to quote Emerson, you better have the other stuff too, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing what happens here. He concludes, it is the bitterest of ironies that the 1619 Project dispenses this medic, uh, maldictation from the chair of ultimate cultural privilege in America. Because in no human society has an enslaved people suddenly found itself vaulted into positions of such privilege and with the consent, even the approbation, of those who were at once the enslavers. The 156 years since emancipation are less than a second on human history's long clock so that such a transformation is more in the nature of a miracle to be celebrated than a failure to be de- deplored for any seeming slowness. It is a miracle Frederick Douglass is celebrated. It is a miracle Sergeant William Carney celebrated on the ramparts of Fort Wagner. It is a miracle Dory Miller and the Tuskegee Airmen are celebrated. And it is not. Is it not a miracle Colin Powell and Ben Carson have been celebrated? Why not the 1619 Project? So he's saying, why can't we celebrate that? I mean, look at what it could be if you just would be honest. But even being honest would not really be honest because I don't think Gelzo could be honest about anything. That's the sad thing about all this. So um, I like this piece, not because it's good, but because I think it gets to the heart of some of the issues with the neocons, the Straussians, and those who are against them. And so I wanted to cover it today. I know it's a couple of years, three years old, actually, almost now. But I think it's it's a... you know, it's it's an interesting, uh, it's relevant. Yeah, I mean, the 1619 Project is relevant. I mean, it's it's all, it's relevant for so many reasons, uh, primarily because you have Du Bois, primarily because you have this vision of America that slavery is the heart of everything in American society, and the 1619 Project perpetuates that. If you want to go after the 1619 Project, you pretty much have to go after Du Bois. And I don't think Gelza does a good job with that here. All right. Hope you enjoyed this episode of The Brian McClanahan Show. I'll see you next time for the next one. See you then.